From Bumble Australia and Shameless Media, this is Love Etc. one of the 4 million Australians who has or has had an STI? Do you have an STI that is with you for life? And does that fact make you feel isolated and lonely in the dating game? Welcome to Love Etc. We're your hosts, Michelle Andrews and Sarah McDonald. Hello, you're listening to Love Etc, a podcast by Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move. Today, we're talking about dating with an STI. To do that, we're going to hear from Bethany, a woman in her 20s who is living with one and will be for the rest of her life. But first, Zara, let's actually have a chat about why we wanted to do this episode in the first place, because we truly believe this one is so important for so many young Australians to listen to. So let's start right there. Why was this one of the first episodes we decided to cover in season two? I think there are a couple of reasons. I think the first thing about season two that we wanted was to talk about things that were a little bit more, I guess, quote unquote, taboo, right? And a Mm -hmm. lot of those things are incredibly isolating, whether that is the concept of virginity or dating with an STI. I think one thing we found about conversations around dating and love and relationships is there's a whole lot of isolation because I think we're sold this one idea about what love and relationships should look like I think the other thing is that we got a heap of dms about it during our first season we got a whole lot of dms from young women who said can you do an episode on this and get someone to talk about it but I don't know if I can be the one to do that I think a lot of people wanted to hear this but didn't feel strong enough to put their face or their name to it I agree with that I went to an all-girls high school and I know that coming through the different year levels there was definitely this stigma about getting an STI and that would have started when I was 13 or 14 and girls in my year level had just started having sex it was very much seen as a dirty thing to have herpes or to have chlamydia or to end up in a situation where you are diagnosed with an STI and I think back to how myself and other girls at my school talked about STIs and I feel really ashamed and I think this is so important because I now know so many women that I love so dearly who have dealt with STIs and feel like they can't speak about it. And that breaks my heart because I feel like it's such an isolating and lonely thing to experience. And a lot of that is our own fault, as you say. Like, I can remember so clearly the jokes and conversations we used to make at high school. And a lot of us weren't even thinking about what we were saying or the impact of those words because the impact of those words probably affected a lot of the women who were saying them and joking about them years later because they suddenly felt themselves buried in like a layer of shame and isolation. I agree. And I think this is so entwined with feminist conversations because there was this attitude definitely in my school that if you had an STI or if you had multiple sexual partners and put yourself in that position, I'm putting that in inverted commas, that you were dirty. There's like this connotation with female sexuality and female exploration that if you contract a disease, you are therefore dirty. And then there's a whole other layer to this, Zara, where women are constantly under pressure by men to not use condoms when they have sex. And I feel like that's a really important layer that we need to discuss here that a recent study of single heterosexual men in Australia found that only 35% used a condom in their last sexual encounter with a casual partner. 35%. So on one hand, we're being told, 
don't pressure men to wear a condom. And on the other, we're saying if you contract anything, that is your fault and that is a reflection on you as a woman and how pure you are. This is something that women are judged for, but it's also something that we have so much pressure on us to not push men to wear condoms when that's really protecting us from STIs. Yeah, it's a real double-edged sword. There was another survey that I had a look into that had another pretty alarming stat, which was a national debrief survey published by the University of New South Wales that said 75% of young Australians aged between 15 and 29 who had sex in the last year did so without a condom at least once. So there are a lot of people who are choosing not to use condoms and I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a huge feminist conversation to be had here, not just about the women who choose to have sex a lot and how we consider them but second to that about what it means to be a polite likable female and that is to not disrupt anything especially in the bedroom to not be the one to ask for things to ask for what they want to disrupt anything really yeah well to be a likable female in the bedroom means that you take on the lion's share of protection and contraception management in that you are expected to be on the pill, you're expected to have all of it covered and to never speak to your male partners if you are heterosexual, to never speak to your male partners about it. Well, it's this idea that sometimes women have to bear the brunt of the logistics of sex, whereas men can generally, very, very generally, just enjoy it. To your point when you said that we have this stigma around STIs, that it's got to do with, I don't know, hygiene or there's something that's self-inflicted about it, The lead author of that study that I touched on before did an interview with Triple J Hack and Dr. Philip Adams said only a minority of young people, 40%, believe sexual health testing is relevant to them. Mm. And I thought this was so interesting, that idea of relevance, because why is it something that so many of us don't think affects us? I think it's because there's this myth that a lot of it is self-inflicted, that we have some sort of control and I guess we do when it comes to protection but I think even the people that aren't protecting themselves in the way they should still don't feel like it's relevant Mm. and make no mistake guys STIs are on the rise in Australia and across the developed world STIs are most common among 18 to 29 year olds so basically love etc listeners and in the last decade cases of chlamydia have increased by 43 percent the number of gonorrhea cases has more than doubled and syphilis cases have more than tripled it is so important yes part of that is because we have better diagnostic tools but part of it is also that we're not being safe when we have sex yeah and I think this is so not a fear-mongering thing but it's also just an encouragement thing to get tested one more stat from this survey Mish that I found interesting one that I wanted to finish with was that respondents who identified as LGBTIQ also reported getting tested more frequently than heterosexual people. So 48% had been tested in the last 12 months compared to 31% Mm. of heterosexual respondents. I thought that was a huge, huge gap and one that we need to remind each other about. One that we need to close, really. We all need to be getting tested more regularly. Zara, what we're about to hear is one woman's story. Her name is Beth. She is living with genital herpes. And I do want to touch on herpes and what it is briefly before we jump into it. If you are not across this, genital herpes is an STI caused by the herpes simplex virus. It affects one in eight sexually active Australians. So if you had herpes jokes at high school like I did, one in eight sexually active people have it. It's passed on through close skin-to-skin contact, can cause outbreaks of blisters and sores on the genitals, which once a person is infected will continue throughout their life. Yeah, and I think we can talk about it in very clinical terms, but I think Beth does a really amazing job at talking about how it can muck you around emotionally and psychologically. So coming up after the break, we'll hear all about her story. But first, for now, it's time for a bumble break. 
Zara, Bumble want to do things a little bit differently today. As the feminist social networking app that helps you date, meet and network better, they want to empower Love Etc. listeners to have fun and stay safe in the bedroom. That's right, Mish. Bumble Australia and Johnny Condoms are teaming up for a special one-time offer for you guys listening at home. Unprotected sex is never, ever worth the risk, especially when there's a crazy, simple solution at hand. Johnny Condoms. Johnny and Bumble are a match made in heaven, given they both exist to make you feel like a boss no matter where you are or what you're doing. And to encourage you and your sexual partner to have an honest conversation about safe sex, Johnny and Bumble are offering you some free condoms. How good is this? If you head to the Bumble Australia Instagram page, that's at Bumble underscore Australia right now, you can apply for a free sample of Johnny's go-to condom, which comes with a biodegradable fab little bag for quick and easy disposal. This is only while stocks last, you guys. So if you want to get your hands on some free condoms, head over right now to at Bumble underscore Australia on Instagram. While you listen to the rest of this episode, we will pop a link in the show notes for you also. Download the Bumble Australia app today and make the first move. One app, three modes, one mission. So Aaron and I had probably known each other for now I'd say about six years. So on and off friends with him being in and out of a relationship and me not wanting to engage in said cheating on the relationship. Wait, so he was keen on you even when he had a girlfriend? Absolutely. Hmm, Aaron. How did you feel about that? Um, At first I was like, what is going on? Like, is this a joke? And then I said, don't talk to me until you've broken up with your girlfriend because I'm not interested. He came back to me in September and he was like, hey, so... I broke up with my girlfriend and he told me not to message you until I'd broken up with her. So here I am. Hello. And I was like, what the hell? (laughs) And were you good friends before that? Like before he showed interest in you when he was dating somebody else before you, you know, things escalated much (laughs) later. What was the nature of your friendship like? So we'd have the same friendship going out and being an introvert, that was basically it. So (laughs) I'd just go out like clubbing and stuff when I was a bit younger and that's when we'd sort of interact. We'd like have the same group that would go to the races and go out afterwards. So it's sort of like mutual connections were why we were friends. Why did you like him? Like, sure, you've got mutual connections, but were there aspects of his personality that really appealed to you? At first, yes. When you're curious on someone that doesn't really give you much to go off, you're sort of like, why are you interested in me? And why do I have an interest in you just because you're interested in me? And then that's sort of how... It extended from there. Did you find him attractive? Yes, very attractive. Very attractive. So a bit of a fuckboy, but a very (laughs) attractive one at that. Extremely. (laughs) So September comes around, he messages you and says, hey, I've broken up with my girlfriend. Hello. Yes. What do you do? At first I was sceptical thinking if you'd broken up with your girlfriend, surely I would have heard about it, you know, how things get spread between friendship groups. But nonetheless, we proceeded (laughs) and we just spoke probably for about a week or so before I decided to cave in and actually go and see him because I knew from him it wasn't going to be any more than just sleeping together. How did you know that? Just an overall vibe of what he was and then how he acted and that I wouldn't want to date someone that would want to cheat on their girlfriend with me. Yeah, fair enough. So you begin sleeping together. How often is this happening? Is it kind of like you go out together and you go home on a Saturday night every couple of weeks? How often are you having sex? So explicitly, since we started sleeping together, we wouldn't go out together anymore. 
I'd just go and see him or he'd come and see me. He's a regular at my work, so I'd always see him in there every now and then. And then whenever I'd see him at work, it would spark him wanting to message me afterwards Mm. going, hey, how are you? What are you doing tonight? And what was the sex like? Average. (laughs) Did you want something more? Like, I think, I don't know, I have a very warped perception of him now after everything had happened. Um, But when we had first started sleeping together, it was fun, it was great. And then after a while, I just got sick of the predictability of what was going to happen. As in you would do the same kind of sex, yeah. You, yeah. it would finish, you'd go home. Yes. <laughs> and did you ever have a conversation about whether you were exclusive, whether you were sleeping with other people or was it just never something that you broached? Not really something that we discussed, but for me personally, if I'm sleeping with someone consistently, there's generally no one else on the cards unless it's going into a relationship. And did you have any knowledge of his previous sexual history or what he was doing? Did you... As far as I knew before, it was just his girlfriend and there was no one else except me. So you thought he'd slept with one other person? There was someone obviously before his girlfriend, but they'd been together for five years. So I was like, generally you're either going to go from zero to 100 really quickly or it's not going to happen. Talk us through protection. What were you using when Um, you were having sex together? So I can't go on the pill at all because I get migraines so yeah condoms were a thing and then they eventually just stopped happening and for someone who's so positive about their sexual health and prides themselves on it I was a bit taken back by it but I still went with it because the peer pressure and the consistent do we have to do this do we have to use one of these (laughs) well I was just gonna ask you I feel like it's either one of two things when it comes to not using protection when it's having sex either you just get lazy like I think a lot of people get lazy and blase absolutely or you do feel peer pressured it was the latter for you yeah I think I just couldn't be bothered anymore and I couldn't be bothered going through with the whole do we have to use this it feels better without one so I just went with it do you hold some resentment for him now we will get into what happened next in a little bit but does that make you resentful the fact that this is a relatively small thing to ask of a man And lots of men do make it such a big deal to say it makes it worse for me. I can't be bothered. I can't find one. I need to go buy them. It just seems like we're expected to take on the lion's share of contraceptive work, like the mental load, the physical load, the financial load of that. The emotional load. The emotional load. Yes. Does that annoy you? Yeah. And probably wasn't until him that I was kind of like, no, we probably do need to use protection. Mm. Like there's no way that. I could be sleeping with someone who is or has your tendencies and feel comfortable with going elsewhere with it. So just to be clear, you weren't using condoms and he was pulling out? Yes, correct. So you start sleeping together in September, the following August, nearly a year after you've been sleeping together. Something doesn't feel right? So from the end of May was the last time I'd seen him and then I had a two-month break mentally. I just needed to check out and I couldn't be bothered. Just like the emotional load of everything, I just wanted a break. And then August came around and I went and seen him. And then probably about three days later, it just didn't feel right. And I just had a hunch. And then, because I always get sexual health checks, so I'll go see my doctor every three to six months depending. And 
she looked at the area and she was like, it's either staph or herpes. So when you say something didn't feel right, can you describe the sensation? Was there lesions? Were there marks down there? Was it like a pain? What was it? So at first it was extremely painful and then I sort of seen bumps but then I wasn't too sure because you know when you're not really sure if you've experienced something before and then you're like is this just something that I shouldn't worry about or should I go check it out? And what do you think and feel when she says both of those things? At first I was like please be staff (laughs) and then you know just when the gut feeling sinks in and you're like it's not staff it's the worst of the two Mm. and so I was just preparing myself for it being herpes instead of staph. So what do they do from there? I imagine there are tests that the doctor carries out to test if it's herpes. Yeah so you get a swab for herpes and previously I had been blood checked for herpes as well because I'd seen someone who'd had herpes in their mouth so I'd went and got a check for that and my doctor said most people have it already in your bloodstream. If you do have it, you've probably had it since you were little. Mm. I was like, okay, cool, that's fine. And so I knew that I hadn't had it before. And so she swabbed the area and then did a full um, sexual um, STI checkout as well, and that was all clean. But then the herpes came back positive for type 1. So type 1 is the oral version of herpes. So he could have had just a lesion on his mouth and being a typical man just ignored it. What's a cut lip or what's a coleslaw really? And then, um, yeah, so any contact with that, so it latches onto a nerve and that's why you can't get rid of it. So it comes and goes, but yeah, I got the worst area of it. So they tell you that it's herpes, it's not staph, it's herpes type 1. What do you feel when you know that your worst case scenario is your reality? Well, at first I was a bit shocked, but then the shock factor weighed off fairly quickly because I'd already prepared myself for it to be the worst of the two. My doctor had already given me the medicine that's like a numbing gel and then the antibiotics that got rid of either herpes or stuff, but it turned out to be herpes. And she said, here's a script for your next outbreak. You may or may not have one. She's like, people have had it. Um, and they haven't had an outbreak for 20 years, so it could really be one or the other. What do you pin down the emotion to? Say you're driving home from the doctors. Is it angry? Is it sad? Is it shame? And how do you then act on that emotion? I just felt dirty, and then I messaged him. I was like, hey, um, I've just had a sexual health check. I think you should go get one too. I said it's come back positive for herpes, so maybe go get your mouth swabbed because there was no apparent lesions down there for him that I could have seen. Um, But, yeah, that was that. Were you angry with him? I was just more disappointed because it had clearly most likely happened between that two-month gap and it's just something that he's just swept under the rug. It's not an issue. How did he react? Funnily enough, he had no reaction. He probably ghosted me for about two weeks until... As in didn't respond to your message? Yep. For two weeks? Did not respond. What? Yeah. Beth, did you... What did you do when he didn't... Did he see your message? Like, did you know that he had read it? 
So he has the tendency to look at notifications on his phone and then leave it there, especially if it's confrontational. You just kind of know that he's just looked at it and he's gone, not today. <laughs> Did you expect that? Did you expect him to just not even acknowledge it? Yes. I gathered that there wouldn't be a response and if there was a response it was going to be a, no, you would have had it before me, it's not me. And... That's just what I went with. <laughs> did you chase him up or did he just come around two weeks later? He came around two weeks later on a Snapchat message so he didn't have to address the original message I had sent and said, hey, do we still fuck? And I was like, well, you fucked up, so do you think we still sleep together or what? From there I was deleted off Snapchat and then... It went silent for about two months until he appeared again. Okay, what are you doing? Not you. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So when you are grappling not just with your anger and disappointment with, with him, but you're also navigating sort of this new world where you have to look after your health and work out what's next, what did you start learning about the misconceptions about herpes or the stigma about herpes? Like what is the difference between what society thinks herpes is and the reality of it? So what my doctor had said to me when she first gave me the positive test result, she was like, so this means very little. She's like, you can only give it to someone if you have an active lesion or if you have an active flare-up of the herpes virus. And she said, other than that, you can't pass it on. She said, it's only going to be an issue if you're pregnant and you give have a natural birth because if you have an active herpes area then you can pass it on to the baby she's like but other than that you don't need to tell anyone unless you've got an active thing or unless you feel comfortable she's like because it won't affect them Mm. unless uh obviously seeing them or whatever and it happens to come up how often are you having flare-ups was there a time after you first contracted herpes that it was regular? Like how often does this happen? So my initial flare-up, so they say the first one is the worst one that you have. And since then I haven't had anything flare-up, but I'm always really paranoid about it, especially because like my periods are super painful. And then it's like after that, I just get paranoid that it's going to happen because you don't really know. I sort of sit there and I'm like, is this a flare-up or is this just nothing? What's your relationship with blame like when it happened and when you were diagnosed and maybe in the month or two after? Is there any part of you that sort of almost irrationally blames yourself? Absolutely. So I probably blame me more than I blame him. Why? What do you what do you blame yourself for? I just feel sort of stupid for being who I am and then just trusting someone that I probably shouldn't have. Even though after a year you'd sort of think you'd build up that sort of trust to not be um, missing that communication of, hey, I've had this or, hey, I've got this, just so you're aware. Who have you told? Do you tell your best friends? Do you Um, tell your family members? I imagine it's something that you'd only probably want to share with those closest to you. Yeah, so my best friend knows. She was probably the first one I told. And then there was someone else that I was sort of speaking to in a way that like either 
I potentially start seeing them in the near, f- near future. And I told them straight away because they knew who Aaron was. And they he was probably the most angry out of everyone. He probably didn't possess the anger that I had, but he was not happy. <laughs> not happy with Aaron? Yeah. And did he... Was he okay with you? Was he supportive and loving towards you? Yeah, so he's been great towards me. So we ended up, we did end up sleeping together and we've just used a condom since and it's been fine. He hasn't said anything bad, doesn't make me feel dirty for it. He was very um, loving and accommodating too. How do you feel about sex now? Were you filled with anxiety after you contracted herpes as to sleeping with other people? Was it a mental barrier to you getting intimate with someone else more so now than what it was because now I'm sort of trying to distance myself from that second person that I had in my life and I just want to be friends with them but then it's sort of set in that I need to tell someone else and I don't really want to tell someone else but I know that I couldn't sleep with someone else and not tell them that I have herpes even though they're probably not going to get it but I just couldn't be dishonest. In the last six months, it's been six-ish months, right? How have you changed thinking about it in terms of the shame and the blame? So at the moment, for me, it's still a secret. I still don't like myself for the fact that I have it, even though it was out of my control. What do you think we could do better about having the conversation publicly? Like, what do you want to see change? Because surely if we improve our conversation, women like you who are dealing with exactly the same thing, and there are so many women who are going to be listening to this who have been dealing with exactly the same thing, don't feel dirty and shameful and blame themselves. Like, what can we do better about the conversation? I think just the fact that sex in general is a taboo topic and STIs especially, like, that's not a party conversation starter. You don't, you don't go up to someone and say, hey, what STIs have you had? What's your sexual health look like? Um, especially in groups of, like, friends and stuff. Like, there's certain people that I would never tell because I'd know it would travel around. And even though if I didn't, if I felt fine with it and I was completely comfortable with myself, I know that there would be people going, you're dirty. You think people gossip about STIs still? Absolutely. Like, I know there's friends that have had chlamydia and they've had gonorrhea and everything like that. There's people that have herpes that I know of, but it's, yeah, it's just such, like, a filthy topic for everyone to discuss and it shouldn't be as bad as what it is. It's funny because I even remember in high school people would throw around, like, you have herpes as, like, a criticism and it's funny that it starts and it's terrible that it starts so, so young that we have these ideas of, like, hygiene and STDs being linked. Linked. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that gets me going. Does it make you upset to talk about it? Like when you're talking about it here with us, do you feel upset about it? A little bit, but then I'm trying not to cry. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing incredibly well though, for the record. Thank you. (laughs) There will be multiple women listening to this episode who have found themselves in almost an identical situation to you right now. What do you want to tell those women? That you're not alone, you're not dirty (laughs) and everyone needs to get regular sexual health checks. 
And what about to the people who make jokes about herpes? What would you like them to know? Or the ones who bitch and gossip about people who may or may not have it? It's not funny. (laughs) And it's sort of like, you know when someone makes like a high school joke or they say something when like you walk past them and they think it's funny but like no one could hate you more than what you'd hate yourself. (laughs) Um, Is that what you feel? Yeah. How do you feel about love? We've asked you how you feel about sex. Do you feel hopeful about love too? Love is something I probably haven't experienced for four years. So at this stage, it's not something I'm thinking about. Mm. It would be great, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Why not? Um, I don't think. You don't have to say it out loud if you can't. Yeah. Because you don't want it to be true? Yeah. I don't have a... Don't have a want to want to be loved but it would be nice to feel loved i'm really sorry that this happened to you (laughs) i feel like it's because i haven't cried about it yeah you've never cried about what happened nope so is on some level do you reckon it's that you've tried to ignore it or push it down and as soon as you acknowledge it it's really upsetting we can leave it there beth thank you so much. I can't tell you how many women are going to be helped by you just deciding to tell your story. Mm-hmm. I know it hasn't been easy, but we so appreciate it. And how brave you are. Lots of people aren't that brave and you've done a really helpful thing for a lot of people today. So here's the thing, when we turned off the mics and said our goodbyes to the beautiful and stupidly strong Beth, we got on with our day. Her story though lingered with us and was still lingering with us when an email of hers popped into our inbox. She said she had a message she wanted to share with you. She might have struggled on mic to get the words she wanted out, but she could pen them down on paper. Hello again, ladies, she wrote. Thank you so much for having me this morning. I'm so sorry for getting teary. I never really cry, so it was a bit hard to settle myself down. I've thought about that love thing and wondered if you could share this or word this yourself since I was unable to actually get my words out. Since being diagnosed, I can't imagine anyone loving me, even if someone didn't know I had herpes or even if it's just an internalised battle within myself. I don't know if it's because I can't imagine someone loving me or if I wouldn't let someone love me. There are people who know and I'm sure they don't love me any less. I just feel overall that I've let myself down. The societal stigma of STIs is the hardest part of it all. You tell someone you have herpes and it's the shift in their physical demeanour you notice even if their words say it's okay. It doesn't feel okay to me. Mm. 
Love Etc. is a production from Shameless Media. Sign up to Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move towards friendship, professional and romantic relationships.